The reading is taken from Acts chapter 9 verses 1 to 25 and it's about Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he said. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Aeneas. The Lord called to him in a vision, Aeneas. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Aeneas come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Lord Aeneas answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Aeneas, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Aeneas went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners, the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine this scene. It's pitch black, dead of night. A man is levered out of a window into a four foot wide basket. It's maybe as high as 60 feet off the ground. It would be fatal if he fell. And the cane woolen basket creaks under the strain of his weight 
It crashes into vines and bushes growing on the wall on the way down. Maybe it's making too much noise, thinks the man sitting in the basket. Am I going to get through this alive? Is this my last night? Will my pursuers hear? Are they waiting for me at the bottom? After an eternity, through the darkness, the basket touches the ground and out leaps a balding man in his thirties. Freedom? Not really. He just scuttles away into the dark desert night. This is the Apostle Paul. This is going to be one of the most powerful men in history. And look at him, scuttling away into the night. The Apostle Paul never expected to make an exit like this in his life. He was the son of a wealthy merchant from a big city, brilliant at studies, connected at the highest levels of Jewish society. A man of position and, and power. He had come to this city of Damascus with an ambassadorial status. He had a whole retinue of police and servants at his command. And in his bag, he carried letters of diplomatic immunity to conduct religious cleansing. And yet, here he is, knuckles white as he grips the sides of the basket. He's no longer an ambassador, he's a fugitive. And see him scampering away into the night with nothing but his clothes. Oh, and a gospel recently discovered because Jesus had appeared to him in this city and transformed his life. Why is Paul in the basket at all? People are after him. He's on the run. And you can imagine him sitting in this basket saying, this God, he's dangerous to know. One moment I was heading for a glittering career as a rabbi, but now after encountering him, I'm on the run for my life. And the people that had educated Paul and commissioned him to persecute Christians have now turned on him because he's changed sides. There is a sense in which every Christian has changed sides. And that's where the trouble comes from. Because when we turn to Christ, we are pursued by a whole host of forces that didn't take much interest in us before. And the world in which we live is no longer a playground, it's a battleground. Who's after Paul? Well, the Jewish leaders in Damascus, they're very annoyed because he's come to the synagogues, he's preached the gospel, and they weren't able to answer him. And they're jealous and they're mad. And so they're after him. They're going to silence him. It doesn't help, of course, that he's got a bit of a bit of a history. This is the city he was supposed to come to and get rid of the Christians. And here he is speaking on behalf of the Christians. How galling for them. And there's another group that's after him too because when Paul's talking about this incident later uh, to the Corinthians, he says that actually guards were waiting for him outside the city. The guards of the king of Arabia, King Aretas. And this is probably because, he tells us in Galatians, that early on he went to Damascus, encountered Christ, and then he left Damascus and went into Arabia for three years. 
and then he came back to Damascus. So something happened in Arabia to annoy the king and pursue Paul. Probably Paul was preaching. He usually was. And everywhere he preached, he got into trouble. So it seems that King Aretas has his guards outside the city because King Aretas's writ did not run into Damascus. Paul is getting it from both angles. Inside the city, the religious leaders are after his neck. Outside the city, the guards from a king are waiting to arrest him. All because he has an incendiary gospel. And so Paul learns early on that the life of faith involves being pursued and he was to be on the run for the rest of his life. This God is dangerous to know. And that's the meaning of the word persecution. It just means to be pursued. It's a verb. So we all sit in the basket with Paul. Something or someone is always after us, not because of who we are, but because of Christ in us. The great New Testament scholar, William Barclay, once said that a New Testament Christian has three characteristics. One, they were absurdly happy. Two, they were filled with an irrational love for their enemies. Three, they were always in trouble. Always in trouble. That's the default setting for any Christian. And Paul is to write later in his ministry that he expects every Christian to experience this pursuit. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he says, will be persecuted. In 2 Timothy, he writes that. So, who's after you? Who's after me? If we sit in the basket with Paul, we have to ask, if Christ has enemies, then so must I. Sometimes the battle comes to us. But sometimes we have to take the battle to the enemy. Paul wasn't having to flee because he was a Christian. Paul was fleeing because he was a witnessing Christian. And we need to remember this. Jesus said, love your enemies. But he didn't say, don't make any. When you sit in the basket with Paul, you're always gripping the sides and saying, who's after me? Who's after me? Somebody should be. We all should be in that basket at some point. And if someone isn't, we need to gently ask ourselves, why not? There was a preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he once said, the devil doesn't waste his time flogging a dead horse. And the persecuted of the world will testify that when you experience that pursuit, strangely, you will count it as your greatest honor. Maybe it's time to get back into the basket with Paul and ask, who's after me? What have the early Christians got in common with Doctor Who? Well, they often had to run away from people who wanted to kill them. Not Daleks, but still people who would stop at nothing. After Stephen was martyred for his love for Jesus, the early Christians were scattered right across Judea and Samaria. 
fleeing for their lives. When Saul became a Christian, he had to leave Damascus in a basket lowered out of a window, the authorities wanting to take him down. Christian people were, from the very beginning, peace-loving. It didn't occur to Paul or any of them to use force against those who were hunting them or who wanted to hurt them. Christians were always willing to stand tall for their faith, but they also have a prayerful instinct to escape when they need to, ready to share the gospel somewhere else. This is one of the key ways that the gospel spread in those early years. It's one of the key ways the gospel has always spread, however remarkable and wrong way up that might seem to us today. So, as we respond to this passage, do we need to go and annoy somebody? Do we need to go and make some enemies? Or get ourselves chucked out of Winchester? Or have our charitable status taken away from us? Or simply try to get ourselves cancelled? This is hard for us. The position and respect we enjoy as a church within Winchester is so unlike Acts 9 and is so unlike a significant part of our world. We can ring the mayor of Winchester and ask him to introduce our United Pentecost service and he'll say an enthusiastic yes and he did, thank you Mr Mayor. We can be part of efforts to feed the most hungry and vulnerable in our city and civic authority will thank us rather than punishing us. We can pull together teams to take Christian assemblies in our local schools and alpha courses in our prison. In Paul's day, we would have been in the prison ourselves for being followers of Jesus. The answer is not for us to go and make some enemies. That's actually not what the early Christians did either. The answer is for us wholeheartedly to celebrate Jesus, to generously share his kingdom, to sacrificially live out his compassion, and to put all of those things above being well thought of. Respectability beckons in a city like Winchester. Oh, to be admired, to be well thought of, to be recognised for our size and our reach and our loveliness. Well, no thank you. Respectability is a fickle friend. It's a fleeting secondary consequence, not a primary aim. Faithfulness to Jesus, knowing that the only opinion that ultimately matters is his. That's the life for me.